Well, welcome back to Proverbs, this third and final instalment in this mini-series. Really glad you've been able to join us uh, to hear this uh, this evening. Thank you for that reading, Karis. Um, Let me pray as we um, begin to look at this together. Our Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given to us, in particular the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his Word. And we pray that as we um, look at this passage together this evening, we would, as a result, become more like your Son, Jesus, that we would love him more, and that we'd be more conformed into his image, that we might uh, please you in the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on Friday the 1st of July 2004, uh, The Guardian ran a newspaper article uh, which had this story. Let me read it to you. Rescue workers yesterday accused a teacher who got lost up a Scottish mountain with 39 London students of putting their lives at risk. John Allen, the leader of the Cairngorm Mountain Rescue Team, said the party from Beth Jacobs Seminary for Girls in Hackney, East London, was the most ill-equipped he had ever seen. When they were rescued 2,500 feet up, uh, a Scottish mountain that I can't pronounce, uh, in the Cairngorms National Park on Wednesday evening, the students were wearing grey skirts, trainers, and best of all, bin bags to protect themselves from the elements. None had waterproofs or walking boots. Mr. Allen said the teacher had no map or compass, and although some of the pupils claimed to have a map, they couldn't produce it. I didn't see any map or compass, and I have serious doubts about their existence, said Mr. Allen. The teacher, who's not been named, didn't even have a mobile phone. She had to borrow one from a pupil to phone for help when the group became disoriented after mist descended at 4.30pm. Mr. Allen said the teacher had put the lives of the pupils, who were all girls around uh, 16 or 17, at risk. Just last week, there was snowfall on the summit of this mountain, and wind chill brought the temperature down to minus seven. This is what he said. They were totally ill-prepared. They had no idea where they were, where they were going, or what they were trying to do. They broke every rule. He initially tried to talk the teacher and students down from the hill, but though the mist lifted within an hour, they had no idea of their position and the mountain rescue team had to be scrambled. The team found the pupils staggering down the mountain in dribs and drabs. They hadn't stayed together after calling for help and when the first group were found three hours later at around 7.30pm, they were one kilometre away from the teacher. To cap it all off, the girls were less than polite to the unpaid volunteer rescue team. They had no idea how ill-equipped they were, and they seemed to think it was funny that a mountain rescue team had to be called. Well, what a bunch of fools they were. Proverbs teaches that all human beings are on a journey through life. That's the favorite metaphor of Proverbs to describe the, uh, the life of human beings. It's a journey. And it warns us that because of our sin, we're all really like that teacher and those girls. We don't know where we are, we don't know where we're going, and we don't know what we're trying to do. We've got no compass or map to find the way, and we've underestimated the dangers severely. And perhaps we even laugh at those who are equipped to help us 
from God's word. Our wisdom is the equivalent of a bin bag on a cliff edge in thick fog. It's no protection at all. Our sinful human condition leads us to be fools. That's what Proverbs is wanting to tell us. The passage that we're going to look at this evening is the second appeal from a father to his son to seek or search after wisdom. Now, as an older man, he's got more experience. He's got more experience of getting it right, but also more experience of getting it wrong. And he longs for his son to learn from him, from his mistakes and from his sins, from what he's seen of the world around, but most importantly, what he's learned of God. He's equipping his son and he's equipping us with what we need to know so that we can walk a straight path through the fogginess and danger of this life to reach a safe, eternal destination. Now this passage that we've had read to us, it's 22 verses long. It's really one big sentence in Hebrew. Uh, We're going to break it up into four sections. And uh, if you can find the service sheet on the web link, Uh, you'll have the outline uh, there for you. Verses 1 to 6 begin, and the father shows the son where to find wisdom. This appeal lays out a series of ifs, and then a then. If you do this and this, then this will happen. And just just to notice straight away, that means that wisdom is not something that just sort of happens to us. It's not something that some people have naturally and others don't. We don't have it, but we can have it if we do something. Let's look at verse 1 to 4 and see those ifs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it, like silver, and search for it as for hidden treasures. Let's look at these ifs a little bit more closely. Look at the verbs that follow them in verse 1. If you receive, if you treasure, shows that we must accept wisdom and hold on to it as if it's precious. Verse 2, if you make your ear attentive, it's as if you're sort of facing the wrong way and and you need to, to turn around. You're not listening. You need to turn around and listen. If you incline your heart. Now the Hebrew word that, there that's translated incline, it means to, to stretch out. To, it means to kind of reach for to, or to go into new territory. To look for things that you don't yet know. Verse 3. If you call out or cry aloud. Sense of desperation desperate pleading and if you seek and search as you would for something of great treasure great so great value that's been lost hidden treasure see all this shows us that wisdom is not something that just sort of comes to us it's not something that we get by osmosis just sort of sitting there absorbing it passively the father wants us to realize that we're to go after wisdom it takes effort for us to search for it. So let's ask that question of ourselves to begin with. Have, have we been keen for wisdom? Have we been searching for wisdom? How hard have we pursued God's wisdom in his word? 
Have we asked God to help us to be wise? I suspect that many of us actually haven't done that. We've not asked God, and that maybe shows that we don't think we really need it. Maybe we are like that teacher who just thinks, well, we can go our own way and and we'll figure it out along the way and everything will be okay in the end. I can work out my own journey, thank you very much. Wisdom starts, we see here, by a recognition that we don't have it in ourselves and that we need to find it. And that we need to find it in someone who's infinitely wiser than we are. James chapter 1, verse 5 reflects this in the New Testament. If any of you lacks wisdom, he says, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without a reproach, and it will be given him. That'd be a great prayer to pray. Lord, I know that I'm not wise, and I need to be wise. And I know that you have all wisdom in yourself. Please will you help me? So wisdom must be searched for. That's all the ifs there in those first four verses. But if you search for it, then. Verse 5 and 6 give us the then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We had the ifs, here's the then. If you go after wisdom, then you find as a result of your search, not abstract philosophy or concepts, not mere advice, but a person, the Lord. And he will then give you his wisdom, the words from his mouth, this tells us. That is the scriptures. Let's just pause on verse 5. You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now when you think about those two phrases, don't they seem slightly contradictory to us? How can God be someone to fear, on the one hand, and someone to know? We can have knowledge of him on the other hand. How can God be awesome and mighty, where if we were to meet him, we'd fall on our faces and tremble, and yet at the same time be loving and kind and compassionate and and close to us, and, and in fact so close to us that he might live in our hearts by his Spirit. How can those two things both be true? Well, the Bible sometimes throws up tensions uh, like that, and we, what we want to do is we want to get rid of one side, That just makes it easier for us to understand, and lots of people do that. But this is one of the key distinctives about the God of the Bible. See, the other religions around the time of Proverbs, they tended to have gods with just one side of that tension. Some were were sort of distant, powerful gods. They were terrifying, but you would never know them. They're not to be known. They were separate from their people. Other religions at the time, they had gods who walked among them, who were friendly with human beings, who wanted to know them. But those gods, they weren't holy, and they weren't all-powerful. They were limited. But the God of the Bible is both to be feared and to be known at the same time. 
And this truth finds, of course, its ultimate expression in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, God displays his awesome holiness as he punishes sin, the sins of the world. He's to be feared, he's the judge. And yet at the same time, he demonstrates his unfathomable love for his people as he takes that punishment upon himself to forgive us so that we might know him. He shows us on the cross that he's a God who can be rightly feared and wonderfully known at the same time. His holiness and his grace come together. He's unlike any other God. A person who searches for wisdom finds it when they find Jesus Christ. A truly wise person comes to fear the Lord, to worship in reverence and awe the God who reigns in majesty, holiness and glory in heaven, and has at the same time come to personally know the God who made himself nothing, who walked among us and who died for us. This search for wisdom ultimately finds its answer in the Lord Jesus. And once you find the Lord Jesus Christ, then what happens is verse 6. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Find Jesus and he, you will discover that he gives you wisdom by his Spirit so that you might rightly understand his word, that which comes from his mouth. And as you do that, what you'll discover is that you then begin to be able to navigate a path through the fog of this life. And that's what we're going to see in the rest of this passage. We're going to see three results in finding wisdom. First one's this, it's in verses 6 to 11. The first result is that we discover a defence. Let me read verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. When God's wisdom comes from his word and, and takes its place in our lives, as we start to live out our lives in the, in the light of God's word, in the decisions that we make, we're told here that he keeps us safe. Look at the words in verses 7 and 8. He shields, he guards, he watches over. That is, he protects us. And those words come again in verse 11 at the end of that little section. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. God protects us. Well, how does, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that a life lived God's way is free from risk of physical danger. Although, to be sure, we should notice that God does rescue us from many things in a, in a real physical sense. But it doesn't mean that if you live God's way, there won't be any struggles or that you won't face physical threats or that you won't get coronavirus. It doesn't mean that. 
It doesn't mean that you won't face death. It can't mean that. Look at Jesus. See, he lived God's way perfectly as the truly wise son, didn't he? And he was in danger all the time. And he was even put to death. It can't mean free from physical danger. It doesn't mean protection in that sense. What, what it must mean is that, that God's gift of wisdom to you in his word means that you'll be kept safe from spiritual danger, that the Lord defends you from spiritual harm. And actually there's a clue in these verses which shows us that that is what it means. It's in verse 10. He says that wisdom will come into your hearts and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It's as if he, he covers you somehow. He, not, not, with a, not with a bin bag, not with that sort of flimsy protection, but a spiritual bulletproof vest. He will bulletproof your heart for when spiritual danger comes your way. In other words, God will help you to navigate through life without compromise and resist the temptations that assail you, that attack you, that shoot at you as you seek to live an upright life in an evil world. And those dangers are going to be illustrated for us in the next verses, verse 12 to 19. Here we see the second result of finding wisdom, it's a deliverance. The Father paints a picture for us of the ways of the wicked. There are two types of wicked people here. There are wicked men in the first part, and then there's the adulterous woman in the second part. If you think back to last week, we met the wicked men before, and they were seeking to pull the sun away um, into evil things. And I told you last week that we would meet a woman, another woman, a woman who was competing with woman wisdom uh, for our attention. And we see her here, verse 12. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It's the men. Here's the woman. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. What are these two shady characters like They're both a spiritual danger to us. First of all, we, we see that they want us to do evil. They, they both speak in order to persuade us to do evil. The men's words are perverse. The woman's seductive. And they seek to convince us that sinful ways are really exciting. What the men say is that what is wrong is right. And what is bad is good. And they delight in it. And isn't that a picture of our world? Verse 14. The woman, well, she tempts and entices us. 
and particularly, I think, towards sexual sin. She offers us pleasure in her house. The stark contrast to the wise man, these people, these worldly people, they don't fear the Lord, nor do they know him. What they want for us is to compromise morally. And I suspect that what they want for us is to compromise morally in what seem to be small things to begin with, to to take small steps along the wrong path until we end up in big trouble further on. See, the men call something like this. You may have heard things like this in your, in your life. They might say, come on, let's get on the beers. Now we'll have a great time. This is what life's all about. Or they might say something like, well, you know, this or that TV programme that everyone's watching, that's fine, really. Yeah, okay, it's got some bad language in it, and, and yeah, there's some violence in it, but, you know, it's no big deal. She whispers in your ear as your phone is on late at night. She says, look, just looking isn't really going to matter. It doesn't affect anyone else. She says, look, you can get away with it. No one's going to know. You can just delete your browsing history afterwards. Both these voices, both these kinds of lives, they look very attractive to us. They promise things to us. They promise joy. They promise pleasure. But the Father wants us to see that if you go that way, you'll be walking in darkness and head on down that track too far and you may eventually reach a point where you can no longer find the way back. Look where her paths end Her paths end up in her house, and her house is a house of death. Verse 19, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Small steps, little temptations given into here and there, and before you know it, you're on a path in darkness, and then you're dead. And then it's too late. There's no coming back from death. Too late to regain the righteous path then. Very sobering. But the reason for showing us the reality of temptation that we face is so that we might not go that way. The one who finds the Lord is delivered by his wisdom. Do you notice that? Twice in verse 12 and verse 16, that wisdom will deliver us. It will save us. The wise person's delivered from the spiritual dangers of temptation and the death that results by wisdom. How does that work? We've already seen that wisdom is finding and knowing the Lord is living life in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord and, and receiving the gift of his word. So then, the degree to which you fear and know the Lord, the degree to which you've received the wisdom of his word and are living it out, is the degree to which you have the power to resist the temptations that the world throws at you. If you don't know him and his word, you've got no protection from the temptation and sin, and death. But if you give yourself to searching for 
wisdom, in the fear and knowledge of the, of the Lord, if you give yourself over to his word and receive it gladly and you store it up as he gives it to you, then in the grace that God provides, when the temptations come and you hear those voices calling, you're equipped to face it and will be delivered from its threats. Not for nothing does Jesus pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he will. Now every journey has a destination and we see in verse 20 to 22 the final destination of human beings. In fact, there are two, aren't there? Two different destinations or destinies. One for the wise and another one for fools. And this is an important point, I think, in this part of the, um, the book, that, that wisdom will save us not just from making mistakes, not just from, from going down the ways of the wicked and messing up in life, but it will also save us from the destiny of the wicked. Verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the path of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. These last three verses show us that the one who fears and knows the Lord has a whole new destiny, a destiny with hope and security. You will inhabit the land. Now for the Old Testament people of God, inhabiting the land, the prospect of living in the land, is the prospect of living in a place of safety and security, a place of abundant provision and a place of joy. It's the destination that they're really hoping for and the destination that we all hope for is the place where God dwells with his people in perfect relationship where everything that's broken is restored where enemies and evil are no more but this hope is never fully realized in the old testament period solomon's rule when is when this book is written it's about as close as it gets to anything like that but it never quite manages it. And before long, just after Solomon dies, the land descends into chaos because the people refuse to heed the wisdom of this book. Yet for us who live this side of Christ, we know that these verses speak of the hope of the gospel, that there is in Christ hope of a secure future for the wise, for those who have come to him. We know that this will be fulfilled for us one day and we will remain in eternity in the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth. And we also know that fools, the wicked, those who reject the wisdom of God, who don't come to Christ, will face the destiny that we see here. We read that they will be cut off, torn from the land, rooted out to their own awful destruction. Two paths, two destinations. And Jesus himself taught this, didn't he? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? 
He spoke about two gates and two paths. Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide and the path is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by, enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Fools, those who reject Christ, march on down the broad road into death and judgment. But in Christ, the narrow gate, the wise will walk into life. We've come to the end of our journey this evening. How equipped are you for this expedition of life? Perhaps you've realised that really you are like that teacher and those girls, not knowing where you are, where you're going, or what you're trying to do. You feel like you have no compass or map for life to find the way. Perhaps you realise that you've underestimated the dangers dramatically. I think there are lots of people who feel like that at the moment, aren't there? Perhaps we're even those who have previously laughed at those who are equipped to help us from God's word. Ask yourself, are you going to carry on on the road that you're walking? Kidding yourself about the quality of your protection, but really in terrible danger? Or will you turn and be wise and search for wisdom from the Lord? Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Learn to fear him and know him. Receive his words and walk in his way. And what you will discover if you do that is that Christ defends you from spiritual danger, that he delivers you from temptation, and that he will bring you safely to your destination, to life in his kingdom. Let me pray. Our Father, we praise you once more for the gift of your word to us. We thank you particularly for its warnings, as we've seen tonight. We thank you that you have warned us about the road that we're heading on naturally to death and to judgment. And we thank you too that you have provided a way out for us, that in Christ you have paid for our rejection of you and your wisdom and you have won us back to yourself so that we might walk in the light of the gospel and we might enter into glory the safe eternal destination that we have with you. We praise you for all that you have done for us and we ask now that you would give us your spirit so that we can walk wisely before you. In Jesus' name, amen.